Let's pray and we will get into today's message. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we're able to gather here again this week and to learn of you, to learn of your word. Lord, I pray that you would uh, bless us with understanding, with wisdom, with knowledge of you and your word and your ways. And Lord, I just uh, ask that this would be a time of peace and calm where your Holy Spirit would speak to each one of us and that every person that hears this message would be blank, would be blessed and strength and edified through it and from it. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the title of the message today is Faith in God's Mysterious Ways. And it's uh, it's a message that I'm excited to preach on because it's a topic that I think is very, like so many of the topics I've been trying to address the last few months or even the last year. I think it's very important uh, in light of the world that we live in right now and in light of the condition of so much of the modern church. I think it's very important that we meditate on certain things as much as possible. And I think the the health and the strength of our faith and the, the, the how deep our belief is in the Lord um, is something we should very much strive to meditate on and to learn of. So the title of the message today is Faith in God's Mysterious Ways. And I'm going to ask you guys to bear with me because in order to help uh, get this message across today, I'm going to read through a couple portions of scripture that are a bit lengthy, but will really help make the points that I'm trying to make through this message today. So if you've got your Bibles, I would ask you to turn to the book of Daniel, chapter 3, starting in verse Eight, and this is about the fiery furnace. And anybody that's familiar with scripture has um, probably heard this before or read this, so they're familiar with the portion of scripture that I'm going to read. But I think it's very pertinent and applicable to today's message. So let's look at Daniel chapter 3, starting in verse 8. And it says, Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward. And maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery <clears throat> furnace. Now, the golden image obviously was an idol that Nebuchadnezzar had set up to be worshipped. But actually, he was also being manipulated by those who sought to go after the Jews and those who worshipped the true God. And so Nebuchadnezzar is being manipulated by them here. But I also want you to look at the fact that, that the golden image could represent any idol. And nowadays in our society, there are so many things that could be considered a golden image. Uh, the world economy, personal wealth, real estate, comfort, whatever it is. There are many there are many idols, golden calves or golden images that even Christians are fooled into worshiping nowadays. So just keep that in mind. And it continues, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews 
whom you have appointed over the, fair, over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So we can see the manipulation here, and we can see the persecution that's coming on against those who are worshiping the one true God in the midst of this pagan society. So I think, again, you can see the parallels between that and what much of our society and what much of the modern church is. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Let's look at that again in today's context. If you don't go along with the prevailing narrative that uh, those in power and those who control uh, news media and social media, they it's very similar to saying that you're not worshiping the golden image that they have set up. So again, we see these parallels between scripture and the world that we're living in today. Now, if you are ready, it continues. Now, if you're ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who shall deliver you out of my hands? Very, very interesting there. Now, one point I want to make here is, uh, before we get into this next section, is to notice that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego epitomize the first part of Romans 12, 2, where it says, do not be conformed to this world. So we see that carried out in their actions here. We see the king being manipulated by those who, do, who want the Jews to stop worshiping the one true God. But let's look at the next section. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, <clears throat> be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Now, I can tell you from, from my experience, if this was in the modern age, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had responded in such a way, many modern Christians would automatically accuse them of disobeying Romans 13, which says be subject to the governing authorities because Romans 13 is one of the most abused, misunderstood, and misinterpreted portions of Scripture. By using Roman, If Romans 13 would have been understood and taught correctly for the last 100 years or so, maybe 200 years, I firmly believe that America would not be in the place that it's in now. It has been used as an excuse to go along with tyranny, attacks against the Christian faith, and lifestyles, and accepting lifestyles and sinfulness that are contrary to the ways of God, saying, well, Romans 13 says we have to obey the government authorities, even though this is not right, we have to go along with it. That's, you would be able to, they would try to accuse Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego of those things. But what they are epitomizing here is how they are to respond 
when commanded to worship the golden image rather than worshiping the one true God. Now, this obviously is a very blatant, in-your-face command to worship the golden image. Today, those commands to worship the golden image are much more subtle, they're much more sinister, and they're much more uh, persistent. They come through on the news each evening, through the mainstream media. They come through on social media, you see? And they, and, they, and they work in incrementally. That's, again, why the modern church is such a mess, because we've had these incremental slides into worshiping the gods of this world what, rather than worshiping the one true God without compromise and without capitulation to the world. So they've said that they will not worship these false gods. They will only worship their God. But notice that he says God will deliver us from the firing furnace, and if he doesn't, we still will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So what we see is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are obedient regardless of how God works in this situation. Why? Because they're looking at a whole different realm that Nebuchadnezzar and these other evil people can't even comprehend. They are looking to a heavenly kingdom. It makes it more possible for them to obey with such a boldness and, and so much courage in this portion of scripture that we see here. But what we see is that they, uh, they're they not compromising, they're not fearful, and they're exhibiting courage, confidence, and boldness in spite of a very grave threat from Nebuchadnezzar. And they're being completely obedient to God. So when they responded in this way, it continues in verse 19, then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is speculation, but as far as, in my opinion, his face was changed because he was being completely consumed by the forces of evil. Satan was working very powerfully in him to go after these men. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. So Nebuchadnezzar loses his temper. He becomes enraged because they will not obey him and do what he says. He becomes so angry that the furnace is heated to just a ridiculous level of heat to the point that even the men that he ordered to throw them into the furnace are consumed by the furnace. That's what a horrific situation it is. But what I, what I want you to see here is the fact that those who are in the service of evil, who are in league with Satan, who are antichrist in spirit, will sacrifice lives without a hint of conscience or care as long as they can handle, as long as they can hinder the cause of Jesus Christ. We still see that type of hatred carried out and acted out in the world today. Now, something in the modern context that this brought to mind as I was reading this last night was um, a place in Central California called Bohemian Grove. And if you haven't heard of this place, it is a place that world leaders, presidents, congressmen, um, leaders of industry have been visiting, I believe, since the early 1900s, even the late 
1800s, I believe once a year, to gather together <coughs> and to participate in occultic rituals. And the main ritual that they participate in at this place is called the cremation of care. And I've actually seen where uh, someone snuck into this place during one of these meetings. They, they usually go up there for a weekend or two or three days. It's, it's known as being very, uh, there's a lot of homosexuality that goes on, a lot of debauchery. Um, but during this final cremation of care ceremony, it's, it's, it's part of it has a river flowing through the grounds of this place. And it looks like a five-star resort and it sits on a river. And on the other side of this river is a massive stone edifice, or I guess you could say idol, that's in the shape of an owl, which represents uh, Moloch, the god Moloch. And if you read through ancient occultism, Moloch was the god that children were known to be sacrificed to. I believe that the modern prevalence of abortion in America and in the world is a continuing effort by satanic forces to continue that occultic sacrifice to Moloch. But what they do during the cremation of care ceremony is they bring out an effigy, which is a uh, something that resembles a small child, is brought out on a boat, taken up the beach uh, before this, this image of Moloch, this, this 50 or 40 or 50 foot tall rock edifice of Moloch, and then burned and sacrificed, cremating care. So basically what I've been able, when I, I studied this years ago, and from what I was able to understand is, is these people throughout the world who wield tremendous power, who are in charge of governments. And, and I can tell you, I've seen undercover uh, videos of this place. Clinton's been there. Reagan's been there. A lot of people don't want to hear that. Um, presidents going back years have been there. Leaders of industry, congressmen, very powerful people from all over the world. What they are able to do is they claim that they are they're cremating care. It enables them to carry out horrific, sadistic, anti-human acts throughout the year. And then they basically try to purge their guilt, cur purge their care through this occultic ceremony. So this is something that goes on in the modern age, which very much came to mind when I saw this happening here. Now it continues. Uh, the point that I was making, again, is that Nebuchadnezzar was so angry, he was willing to sacrifice his own loyal soldiers to have these guys thrown into the furnace. Didn't matter to him. He didn't care, you see, that his own men were actually killed in the process of throwing these guys into the furnace because he just wanted to destroy them. So that was the point that I was trying to get to there, and I probably took the long way around. But it continues in verse 24. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. So he's blown away because this furnace should absolutely annihilate anything organic that goes into it. 
a human body should just be burnt to a crisp. But he sees these three men now unbound, and somehow a fourth, who appears to him to be some type of divine being, walking around with them within the fire. So he's trying to figure out what's going on. Then Nebuchadnezzar came to the door of the burning fiery furnace, and he declared Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now look at the difference in his viewpoint here. Servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then, he, then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So what we see here is God working in a very mysterious way. And God worked in such a powerful and mysterious way. Um, and the faith that he instilled in Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was so profound to witness that even the king who had been intent on pursuing evil is instead made to praise and proclaim the glory of God. So God brought glory to himself in such a mysterious and fascinating and amazing way here. But notice that he does not proclaim God to be his God. Nebuchadnezzar is not a believer. He's still an unbelieving pagan who has been used for the glory of God at this point. So I think anybody could agree, if you're going to talk about the mysterious ways of God, that is a wonderful ex example of the mysterious ways of God. It's an absolutely amazing portion of Scripture. But what I want you to see here is the fact that the Lord often works, and the way that we can apply this to our own lives, and I think it's so important for the times in which we live, is to understand that the Lord often works in very mysterious ways that we could not consider, that we would not have conceived of, and are often beyond our understanding. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could have had no idea that God was going to do what he did. They had to walk into that furnace faithfully and obediently, not compromising to the ways of God or God's will, not forsaking God and refusing to worship idols. You see? They had to, they exhibited a faith that was so far beyond them because that faith was blessed to them by God for them to be able to do what they did. But God brought glory to himself through it. Faith is trusting into God to provide a way to deliver us, to save us, and to overcome in his way, in his time, and according to his will. And this is such an important thing for us to understand today. It is not faith for us to plan a way out that's by our own conception. 
present it to God and pray for him to follow through and bring it about. Is that not the way that so many Christians look at God these, these days? You're in a predicament. You're in a situation. You think you've figured a way out of it. Some things just need to fall into place to make it happen. So what you do is you go to God, you present your plan, you show him the solution that you've come up with, and you say, Lord, bring this about in this way. God doesn't work like that. And I'll repeat that point. It is not faith to plan a way out that's of our own conception, to present it to God and to pray for him to follow through and bring it about for us. God doesn't work that way. That's not faith. That's using God as basically a helper. He will almost always do something in a way that you would have not have conceived of. Why? Because it brings him more glory. Because when you're on the other side of that issue, he's delivered you th through something like a fiery furnace that you didn't think you could ever be delivered through. It's unarguable that he's the one who did it and he's the one that gets the glory. That's why Nebuchadnezzar responded in such a way that was so contrary to the way that he'd looked at things before he sent the three into the furnace. God does not accept blueprints. We cannot take a blueprint to God and say, this is what I want to have happen. I just need you to do it. God doesn't accept blueprints. God is the architect. He's the builder. And he's the, proc and he's the project manager. Everything is in his control. Our job is just to look to him faithfully. Now, along those lines, I want to look at some more examples from Scripture to show God working in ways that the person involved or the people involved would have never considered or thought about ahead of time. Let's look at another example from Daniel 6, starting in verse 1. And everybody knows this story. It's Daniel in the lion's den. Daniel 6 starting in verse 1. Again, it's a big portion of Scripture, but just pay attention because I think you'll see the point that I'm trying to make here. Now, this is another leader that Daniel is under. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps. Why? Because an excellent spirit was in him. What is the excellent spirit that's in him? It's the spirit of God. It's the Holy Spirit. Daniel is succeeding because he is faithful to God. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for a complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. <laughs> But they could find no ground for complaint, <coughs> excuse me, or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. So these guys are jealous because Daniel is succeeding and prospering and he's an outsider. So they're seeking to bring him down, but they can't find anything. They can't get anything on him. So they make some, they're trying to make something up. So it says, no error or fault was found in him. Excuse me, I got to take a drink. Then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So what they're saying is, 
The only way we're going to pin something on Daniel is if we can show that the law of his God is contrary to one of our laws. We have to make the worship of his God illegal in some way, and then we'll be able to get him. Again, does this not sound totally like what's going on in much of the world today? I just read this morning where a Canadian pastor was arrested because his church was gathering and meeting as a church should, and the Canadian government does not want it happening, supposedly because of the COVID virus. We all know that's a hoax, I think, by now. And they hauled the guy off to jail. He'd ran him out of his church two or three times. They've been there multiple times, and he refused to let them in. I mean, he got in their face, as he should. They finally arrested him, with, I think it was in the last 24 or 48 hours. That's exactly what's being talked about here. Our government, who is you can't argue has been taken over by very evil, sinister forces, obviously does not want the Christian faith to prosper and to grow the gospel message to get out. Why? Because our government is of this world. It's in, in the power of Satan. So Satan try, will try more and more to make the Christian faith, the Christian message, the gospel illegal in some way. So gathering together, you can't do that. It's not safe because you might get this virus. So we're going to have to arrest you if you do so. You see what I'm saying? So you see these parallels again. That's why this is so important. So they said, we shall not find any ground for a complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. <laughs> then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days, except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Again, they just want this enacted for 30 days. We were told a year or so ago, the churches couldn't meet in certain areas for what, two weeks, 30 days? And everybody pretty much went along with it and said, okay, if that's what we have to do to get through this thing, then business will continue as usual. That's what we'll do. A over a year later, it's continuing in many places. See? See what I'm saying? See the, the parallels here? Uh, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. I, can, I don't think anybody would argue with me that the majority of modern Christians would say, if we have to give up prayer and worship for 30 days, rather than being fed to the lions, I'm sure God will, will not judge me too harshly on that. He'll understand. That... Uh, I know for a fact that the majority of modern Christians would, would think that seems totally logical. It's just 30 days. It's not a big deal. Or they would just worship secretly, gather secretly, pray secretly. You see? Very, very easy thing for Christians to rationalize. Now, O King, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and the injunction. 
When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. Right out in the open. His windows are open. He's not hiding from anybody. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Daniel knows the law that has been laid down. He knows it's an unjust law. It goes against his worship of God. It goes against God. So he ignores it and he continues on as he always has. <laughs> now, another fascinating thing about this is the fact that he's praying towards Jerusalem. And at this point, Jerusalem is basically destroyed, but he still has faith that God is to be worshipped and that that city will be rebuilt. Rebuilt. Fascinating. So he's continuing to worship as he knows the Lord wants him to worship. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. They knew he was going to continue to do it. They knew this was a perfect way to get something pinned on him. So they're moving forward with their plan, just like what we see happening so much today. Then they came near and said before the king concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The king stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king. Or the injunction you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. They knew they had him. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed and set his mind to deliver Daniel. The king knows what a great servant Daniel is, what a great leader he is, and what a good person he is because he walks with God. And he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve, continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. He was so distraught that he had been tricked by these men because he did not want to harm Daniel, but he was forced by the law that he had enacted to do so. And it affected him so much that he spent the night fasting. Then at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God whom you serve continually been able to, to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me because I was found blameless before him. We can say that we are found blameless before the Lord, not because we are blameless, but be, we, we stand in the blamelessness of Christ. We stand in his righteousness. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. The law has been met. 
the sentence was thrown into the lion's den. They can't control the lions. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. He had trusted in the mysterious ways of God. And the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions, they, their children, and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all, the, broke all their bones in pieces. So their, their plan has come around, backfired, and they are put in the position that they tried to put Daniel in. Then King Darius wrote to all the peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So notice that in both, both of these instances from the book of Daniel, when God has provided a way through an impossible situation, it is clearly to his praise and his glory. So remember that when you are faced with situations in life and there might be two paths to take, or you're thinking, if I just, if I just compromise a little bit and do this, things will be more easy. Or think about the hard path. Which of those paths is going to bring glory to God when he delivers you through whatever you have to face? Sometimes that's the easiest way to know God's will. Will this bring glory to God? Will this bring glory to God? If you're compromising on God's word, if you're, if you're uh, swerving from the narrow path, if you're seeking to save yourself and not go through a trial because that trial requires faithfulness to God, but you don't want to go that way because you'd rather compromise to the world instead of face a possible trial. The compromise is not going to bring glory to God. You see, think about that. You can know God's will by thinking about what will bring glory to God. Another example would be Israel going through the Red Sea. After Moses was part of this amazing adventure to see God work in such profound ways in Egypt with all these plagues, and then bringing them out of Egypt and delivering them. And all of a sudden he hears that the Egyptian army is, is, is coming down on them. And so they've got this massive Egyptian army behind them. And they've got the Red Sea in front of them. He didn't know the sea was going to open up. He had to have faith that God would bring them through. And that represented our passage through sin and death that we have in Jesus Christ, having faith in him. The water from the rock in the desert. When the Israelites were moaning shortly after going through the Red Sea and they're wandering in the desert and they thought, we're going to die here because we have no water. Why would you lead us to such a place? Water was provided from the rock in a place that you would think that it would never come from. That represents the rivers of living water that pour forth from Christ, the rock, into us. Again, it all brings glory to God. Through the New Testament, we read of apostles and disciples freed from prison and danger through supernatural and miraculous protections and deliverances that are beyond the laws of physics. When Peter was put in prison, he awakes, he's awakened by an angel who somehow, beyond the laws of physics, makes his chains fall off, the door open, and sets him free. That all brings glory to God because of faith in God's mysterious ways. You see? 
We see these all through Scripture. So we have to understand that we err when we think we can understand how God will do things. If we understood exactly how God will do things, it wouldn't take faith. Let's look at Isaiah. Find this on the screen here. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We cannot fully comprehend the mind of God or the ways of God or the will of God. We have to have faith that he's in control. Consider this. How many blessings have we missed because we were looking for something from our minds rather than trusting in and looking to the mind of God? Look at this verse, 1 Corinthians 2.9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Our blessings lay on the narrow path of struggle, perseverance, and faith. How often have we possibly missed amazing blessings in our life because we thought we knew better? We took the easy way out by compromising rather than staying to the narrow path and seeking God the way he tells us to seek him. The modern church wouldn't be in the condition it's in if it was simply faith that was clung to a lack of faith is what has caused so many problems in the modern church. We wouldn't have been drawn into humanism, psychology, psychiatry, self-help programs, recovery programs. All the garbage from the world that has infected the modern church would not be there if it wasn't for a severe lack of faith, which leads to a lack of understanding of the gospel, and it just infects everything. How many Jews rejected Christ the Messiah because Jesus was not the image of the Messiah that they had conceived in their own minds? They didn't have faith that Christ said he who that Christ was who he claimed to be and proved himself to be because they could not have faith in something contrary to who they thought the Messiah should be. Look at John 7:41 through 42. And 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 9, John 7, 41 through 42 says, Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? Now, that's a very interesting verse in scripture. Because if these guys who claim this had simply done a little bit of investigative research, they would have found out that, yes, Jesus is from Nazareth in Galilee now, but he was originally born in Bethlehem, and he is a direct descendant of David. It would be like somebody uh, telling someone that they know who I am, Chad Prigmore, who lives in Meridian, Idaho, and somebody that I grew up with saying, well, that can't be the Chad Prigmore that I knew because he was from Orange, California. You see, it's, it's, that's exactly the same mistake. A little bit of research, you figure out where the person's actually from. They assume because Christ was from Nazareth in Galilee, he couldn't be the Messiah because it was prophesied in Scripture that the Messiah would be from the line of David, from the town of Bethlehem, where he truly was from. 1 Corinthians 2, 6 through 9, yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom, although, to, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. 
but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. So we've got to have faith that we are worshiping God and serving him and striving to know him in ways that are beyond our ability and is in the hidden wisdom wisdom of him. We cannot know God through anything of this world, only through his hidden mysterious ways. It's the only way to know him. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Those who reject Christ often do so because the truth of who Christ is and the truth of his gospel is contrary to who they think Christ should be and how they think salvation should be had. Folks, that's the cause of the majority of arguments in the Christian church today. It's one of the reasons that I quit debating on, on social media. People used to always ask me to go in and correct false teachers and to engage in debates on social media. And I finally stopped doing it because it became very clear to me that it had very little of it, if any of it, had any desire for truth. It was just humanistic opinions and desires unable to accept the truth of Scripture. And that is so prevalent in the modern church. Those who reject Christ often do so because the truth of who Christ is and the truth of his gospel is contrary to who they think Christ should be and how they think salvation should be had. A few years ago, we had a situation where a family close to us, teenage daughter got pregnant. The parents were pushing her to have an abortion. And when one of our family members confronted them and said, you can't do this, you claim to be Christian. Um, this is totally contrary to the Christian faith. The response was, well, that's not... That's not my Christian faith. That's not the Jesus that I follow. He doesn't have a problem with this. That's exactly what I'm talking about here. See, they're not believers. They want a Jesus that fits their mold. And that's why so many people struggle with Christianity nowadays, because they want Jesus to be who they want him to be, rather than who he claims and proves himself to be through his word. Only by the supernatural, miraculous working of the Holy Spirit can a person see the truth of Christ and his gospel and overcome the innate humanistic aversion to Christ and his gospel. You will not be able to have the faith required to believe in Christ without the Holy Spirit blessing you with it. If you are a true believer, you cling to Christ you strive to be conformed to his image. You trust in his name and his righteousness for your salvation. You should be praising the Lord every day because that is the greatest gift and the greatest supernatural miracle in the universe. That's one of the reasons I get so upset with this whole, you know, Bethel Church, NAR, New Apostolic Reformation movement, is they're obsessed with seeing miracles. I used to know a pastor that was involved in that movement, and he just kept telling me, I just want to see miracles. And I would say, uh I'm a miracle. The fact that the Lord saved me and made me a new creation is the greatest miracle I could ever want to witness. And if a person can't see that, they can't be a true believer. You see? You should be the miracle that you want to see. Look at Colossians 1, 25 through 27. Paul writes, of which I became a minister 
according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to who? To his saints, to his chosen one, to his elect. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Folks, faith is trusting in the unseen and in ways that are inconceivable. And in the with what's going on in the world, you have got to understand this. If you try to look to the world for comfort, if you try to look to, to other people for comfort, if you try to look to leaders in our government for comfort and guidance, it will not be there. This is such a time of blessing because it will drive you to God's word seeking comfort. It will drive you to prayerful study of God's word seeking comfort. It will drive you to fellowship with true Christian believers because that's where you will find comfort when the Holy Spirit is amongst you. The world will let you down more and more. It will attack you more and more. It, Satan is unleashing radical efforts right now to do everything he can to try to trip up Christian believers, to try to attack the Christian faith, to try to stifle the gospel message. And you've got to have the attitude that Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel had that you will not compromise, you will not capitulate, you will live with boldness, you'll act like men, and be strong in the face of adversity to the Christian faith. You won't go looking for a fight, but when the fight comes for you, to you, you will make a stand for truth, understanding that you are placing your faith in God's mysterious ways. So faith is trusting in the unseen and in ways that are inconceivable. It's spiritual. Hebrews 11, 1 through 3. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. You've got to start having that spiritual mindset. Now, this is very important. When faith in God's mysterious ways is lacking, consideration of things not seen, the spiritual realm, will also be lacking, which leads to increasing secular humanism and apathy in the church as we see today. Satan wants the true spiritual realm to be ignored, so he works to fool people into believing either in a false spirituality or no spirituality at all. And that's what the world is all about today, and that's what most of the church is about today. False spirituality is what I was very much involved in when I was in the whole AA 12-step recovery thing. When you're in those programs, people constantly talk about I'm a spiritual person. I've overcome my addictions because of my my spirituality that I've developed. And you'll get in you'll you'll hear Buddhist influence, Hindu influence, New Age influence, uh, corrupted Christian influence, all kinds of this false spirituality. On the other side of that, in our world, no spirituality at all. And that's what's really starting to come into society more and more now, where there is no spiritual realm. This is why evolutionary theory is so dangerous. Everything's just 
science. Everything will eventually be explained through scientific testing, analysis, and theory. And, and they claim that eventually there won't be theory. Everything will just be explained through science. What's sad about that is if you go back to the beginning of science, especially someone like Sir Isaac Newton, most modern scientists either refuse to acknowledge or have no idea that 75 to 90% of the writings that Sir Isaac Newton wrote were theological. He was absolutely in love with the Lord and in love with theology and scripture. He was fascinated with science because he knew that he was being given the blessing to start deciphering the mind of God and how God did things, how God does things, how the universe was created. That's when science is truly fascinating. So we are in an age where there's either a false spirituality or no spirituality at all. It is time for Christians to start paying attention to the true spiritual realm that we learn of in scripture and the true nature of reality. This will be very important going forward. I believe, and I've been studying this for a long time now, and I'm really diving into it heavily right now. I believe that we are entering a time when the spiritual realm is going to begin manifesting much more powerfully, visibly, and prominently in the world around us. I think we will start seeing things that we can't understand, that cannot be explained, and it will shatter the faith of those that are in a false spirituality, and it will strengthen and confirm the faith of those whose spirituality is grounded in the Word of God and abides in Christ. So it's a very exciting time to be alive, and I'm excited to really, I'm going to be moving a lot in this direction um, from now on in my sermons. I want to help people understand what true Christian spirituality is and the understanding that there is a cosmic battle raging around us that this world is so apathetic to has been taught that really doesn't exist. Folks, there are angels battling for the souls of humanity right in dimensions right next to us right now. Notice in Philippians 4, 6 through 8, where it begins, it says, rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is right here. You see, there is a spiritual dimension that is right by us that we have got to start paying attention to. I'll close with Ephesians 6, 11 through 13, which reiterates this last point. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Folks, I know Joe Biden is an evil person and he's very irritating and he makes a lot of people mad and he makes a lot of people have sleepless nights and just spend time in, in anxiety and anger. He's meaningless, folks. He's being controlled by evil. He's a puppet. Put your focus on the spiritual realm. Joe Biden is just a bumbling fool who was put into his position illegitimately. Do we want him removed? Absolutely. Should he be where he's at? Not at all. Don't let it consume you. Realize that what's going on there is a manifestation of a spiritual battle that's being carried out on the physical realm. Engage in the spiritual battle. Okay, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again. I ask that you would strengthen each of us 
each of us as we move into this uh, time, which by all appearances will continue to grow more chaotic. For those that do not know you will become more confusing. And I know that we will see more people um, losing their minds, striving to find truth where there isn't any truth, rejecting you completely. There will be more attacks against the faith and against the faithful. And I ask that you just enable each of, each of us to stand firm, to act strong and be like, to be men and act, be strong and act like men as we're commanded to in scripture. Lord, just uh, protect us in the coming week. Guide our steps. Bless us all with boldness, confidence, and courage. Enable us to share the gospel without compromise. And just uh, may you be glorified through it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here this week, folks. Again, happy Mother's Day to all the moms. Our sponsor is Elephant Walk. We've got a ton of new merchandise that just came in from Kenya um, uh, about a week and a half or so ago. And it is being uploaded to the website daily. Um, some amazing new, we've got an amazing new wooden mug collection. Uh, we've got some new home decor items that, that will be coming up in the next week or so, and an amazing collection of leather items. And elephantwalk.net is all about supporting people in developing nations. Right now we're focused on Kenya. Uh, we're talking to someone that we may be uh, starting to do business with in the Philippines. And then if the Lord leads, I'd very much like to get into uh, countries like Vietnam uh, and start importing some of their products. But this was brought about, my brother-in-law and I uh, had this idea as an effort to help expand the ministry, to help more people and to just move forward in the cause of the gospel. So we need your help by just going to elephantwalk.net, take a look around, and if there's something you like, please consider purchasing from us because it will be a blessing to many people if you do so. If you'd like to donate to the site directly, to the, to the ministry directly, just go to the website at the way, the letter R122.org. Uh, the podcast, the Way Radio podcast, can be found at the Christian podcastcommunity.org. I usually publish the sermons from the previous Sunday on Fridays to the podcast. Just look for The Way Radio in the search field there. There's a lot of other great podcasts there. You can find us on YouTube at The Way Ministry Church. And again, please consider uh, supporting us by going to The Way, the letter R122 dot O-R-G. Uh, the whole COVID thing has really affected the ministry as far as um, lowering our donations. So we need all the help we can get. All right. Until next week, I will see you guys then. Same time, same place. God bless. Mm -hmm.